Hey, it's Ryan Tucker, and you're listening to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon out of Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 17, and it's titled, Why Are You Doubting? If you have a Bible this morning, open up to Matthew 28. Verses 16 and 17, if you missed last Sunday, we finished the book of Romans. Uh, You knew that we were eventually going to come to it. You thought, oh my goodness, I can't believe it took this long. And and I agree, but we finally finished last Sunday. If you weren't here, you can go online and you can watch that message if you've been walking along with us all throughout the book of Romans. But today and the next couple of weeks, uh, I'm going to be dealing with certain things looking at different passages, and even though it's not systematically working through a book of the Bible like we normally do, it will be expository in nature because uh, we just let Scripture speak for itself, right? That's what we want to do. And so today I'm dealing with something that I've had a lot of folks that have asked me about, things that they've been struggling with for quite some time, and it seems as though just recently I've had many that have brought up the topic of doubt, and struggling with doubt. And maybe you're one of those. Let me just stop and say this. We all doubt from time to time. Uh, there are some of you who are sitting there right now and you're like, oh, did I turn the iron off? And you're doubting that. Did I lock the door? Did, did I bring the dog back in? There are some of you this morning that are sitting there and you're doubting, do I have enough money in the in, in the bank account to cover all the bills. And so the, the, the truth is that we all have this nature of doubt about us. And sometimes that doubt will bleed over into the spiritual side of life. And that's what I want us to address this morning. Our main text will be there, Matthew 28, verses 16 and 17, but we're also going to get over in the book of Mark, we're going to get over in the book of John. Uh, I'll do the best I can to give you enough time to get there, but there's no worry, the scripture will be on the screens so that you can track with us. And I'll say this as I always say, if you don't have a, a Bible, we would love to give you one. You can stop by the Welcome Center. And I would even say this, those that are listening, that are not in the room, that are in some of these areas around the world that God allows us to be able to pour into, if you would like a Bible and you don't own one, just shoot us an email and we will mail you a copy of God's Word. Uh, and that will be our privilege to be able to do that because the Bible transforms lives. So in Matthew 28, let me give you the context before we read this passage of Scripture. Jesus has risen from the grave. He said he was going to, and he did exactly what he said. And so the people show up at his grave, and he is not there. And there are angels that are there, and the angels are saying, he's risen, just as he said, right? He is risen. Well, I can even, even see the angels. They don't say this, but I can kind of see their attitude as, why are you shocked? Didn't he tell you he would do this? And so that's the context of what we're reading this morning. Look there with me, Matthew 28. Verses 16 and 17. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Here it is. But some doubted. Am I the only one that finds that amazing? They saw Jesus die. They saw his body be removed from the cross. They saw his body placed in a tomb, a stone rolled over it. They show back up at the grave, and his body's gone. He comes and reveals himself to them. He is there in living color, in the flesh. They could see the scars in his hands, the scar in his side. Some worshiped, and yet some doubted. I like the story of the guy who had this beautiful chocolate lab, was walking him along the beach one day and there was a fisherman out there and he was casting his his line out into the surf and he sees this guy walking his dog and he even makes the comment, he said, my goodness, that's the most beautiful dog I think I've ever seen. And the dog owner said, well, you know, not only is he the most beautiful dog in the world, he's the greatest dog in the world. And the fisherman said, well, I doubt that. He said, oh, really? Watch this. 
He reached down, he picked up a stick, he lobbed it about 30 yards out into the water. He looks at the dog and he says, boy, fetch. And from a standing position, the dog goes 30 yards out. He doesn't even make a splash. He picks the stick up and walks across the top of the water, lays the stick down on his master's feet. The dog owner turns to the fisherman and here's what he says. What do you think about that? The fisherman said, so, you got a dog that can't swim, don't you? (laughs) Really? He was a real doubter. And that's what we see happening in this passage of Scripture. And even though that might be a cute little story, it is not cute, the matter of doubting. Doubt is a cancer. Doubt will confuse and it will consume, and listen to me, doubt will control you. And I found that doubting Thomases are not just confined to pages of the New Testament, they're also sitting in in chairs in New Testament churches. Verse 17, and some doubted. That amazes me. Here they are, they're looking at Jesus, looking at the nail scars, right? Looking at him in the flesh. And while some of them are there and the scripture says they're worshiping, there are others there and they're wondering. I wonder if this is him. I wonder if he really did rise from the dead. While there were some there and they were very sure of what was taking place, there were others there in the same place and they were skeptics. So let me just stop and say this. It is a disturbing thing to doubt, but it's a very dangerous thing for you to remain in doubt. And so what I want us to do this morning, we'll take this passage of scripture in Matthew, we'll kind of use it as a springboard, and we're gonna look at three disciples of Jesus that doubted. And we're gonna answer the question today, what kind of Christians doubt? And each one of them will fulfill what we're talking about. First of all, this morning, you can flip your Bibles over to John chapter 20, because I think that a casual Christian will doubt. In John chapter 20, we're going to take a look at old doubting Thomas himself. Find verse 24 of John chapter 20. It says, now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. Now, again, let me give you the story here. This is after the resurrection of Christ. Jesus comes to church, and while Jesus comes to church, Thomas wasn't there. Thomas missed it, and he doubted. Now, I don't know why Thomas was not there. I wish the Scripture gave us a better insight to why Thomas was not there. We can only assume why Thomas might not have been there at church when he should have been there with the others. I don't know. Maybe he was a season ticket holder for the uh, chariot races. Maybe they had a race that day, and that's why he was not there. I have no idea. Maybe, uh, maybe he had to go out to the Jerusalem Walmart, and he got a little sidetrack, and he spent all day there. You know how those places can be, right? I don't know why he wasn't at church. Maybe at the last disciples' meeting, he didn't get elected chairman, and it upset him. Maybe, maybe Thomas was thinking, well, the preacher's not going to be here. Jesus is not going to be here, so why should I even go? I can stay at home. The Bible does not tell us, guys, why Thomas missed church. But you know what I've discovered in my 30-plus years of ministry and in my 51 years of life? When you are a casual Christian, any old excuse will do. We know the Bible does this. The Bible tells the child of God to come to the house of God. Do you believe that? Yeah, there's scripture all across the New Testament that tells us how important it is for us to assemble together, for us to come to the house of God. And I would say at least five of you agreed with me that the Bible says that we should come to church. How many of you would agree that the Bible says that the children of God should come to the house of God? Say amen. Amen. All right, I'm glad. Now let me ask this question. If we believe that, then why do preachers have to beg Christians to come to church? 
find it encouraging? Do you not find it exhilarating? Do you not find it important for us when we gather together? I mean, honestly, guys, are we not the ones who are blessed when we assemble together? And when we miss the basic of all commitments, we are going to waver in our faith. You need the body of Christ. You need to assemble together with the body of Christ. You need to be in church. Now, please hear me. I'm not trying to be legalistic about this. I get that you miss when you're on vacation. I get that you miss when you're sick. I get that you miss from time to time, but I'm talking about Christians or folks who proclaim the name of Christ who miss church habitually and they just come to church occasionally. You're casual, a casual Christian. You say, well, pastor, why is it important to come to church? There are many different reasons. I can share two from this very passage of scripture alone. The first reason why it's important for you and I not to be casual in our faith, not to be casual in our commitment to gathering together with other brothers and sisters is spiritual encouragement. We're spiritually encouraged when we come to church. Look at what it says. This is in John chapter 20. Look in verse 19. It says, then the same day at evening, my goodness, they had night church. (laughs) Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled. Why? For fear of the Jews, they were hiding. Oh my goodness. (laughs) There wasn't a whole lot of worship happening. They they were scared for their death. They're gonna kill us the way they killed Jesus. They're looking for us right now. It says, so out of fear of the Jews, Jesus came. He stood in the midst. And notice what he says to them. Peace be with you. Then I want you to watch the transformation that takes place between verse 19 and between verse 20, okay? So again, they're hiding, they're scared, they're worried, they're all, not a lot of singing happening, not a lot of worship happening, not a lot of Bible study happening, you know? They're probably praying, oh Lord, keep us safe, keep us protected. They probably weren't even praying, Lord, they were probably Jehovah God, you know, whatever. But look what happens in verse 20. When he, he being Jesus, had said this, mm. He showed him his hands in his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The whole atmosphere changed when Jesus showed up. So they've just made a transition. They've gone from worriers now to worshipers. They've gone from shaking in their boots to shouting with their mouths. They were afraid. They had every reason to be afraid, but then what changed? Jesus shows up. There is nothing else that happens in the world like what happens when we gather together as the body of Christ. The spiritual encouragement that we give to each other, that's why we gather together. Guys, I'm encouraged almost every time I come to church. Now, notice I said the word almost. I'll never forget, a few years back, I was invited to come and preach a revival. And the, the, the first Sunday morning of the revival, they were going to have a homecoming service. And so I did not get into the pulpit that day until 20 minutes till 12. I mean, they were doing a lot of history and a lot of singing and testimony. All great things, all great things. That's the reason why I always tell you guys, hey, when, when, at the end of the service, you're not sitting there looking at your watch thinking, man, they sang too many songs today. You're blaming it all on the preacher. I get that. I get that. But man, I put my sermon, my message in, in, into overdrive. Man, I fast forwarded. I got done in 35 minutes. And so the pastor, you know, he gave the invitation. At the end of the invitation, he released me first as the guest visiting pastor to go to the fellowship hall where they were going to be having dinner on the grounds, right? They were having a potluck deal and the church provided the meat. Y'all been in those small little churches where they do stuff like that. People are like, why don't we do that here? Where are we going to feed you? We can't even have dinner on the grounds because we can't park on the grounds. You know what I'm saying? 
So anyway, the pastor, he said, hey, listen, I want you to go first, but now there's a shortcut. If you'll cut through the kitchen, it'll get you to the fellowship hall faster and you'll beat the crowd. You're gonna be the first one to eat. And I'm like, okay. And so I, I did that little shortcut. I'm walking through their kitchen. There are five women that are in the kitchen. And as I walk into the kitchen, one woman makes this statement. We're gonna choke you. And I thought she was teasing, but she wasn't smiling. We're gonna choke you. And I said, ma'am, she said, we're going to choke you. You preached too long. The food's going to be cold. And, uh, and, I, and I thought she, you know, maybe she's just teasing me. And she didn't know me, never met me before. And I was sitting there and I even made the statement. I said, ma'am, you need to understand. I was laughing when I said it. You need to understand. This is the, this is the shortest sermon I've preached in a long, long time. She didn't laugh. She didn't smile. I started to say something else, but then I thought, you know what? I may be in a dangerous situation. There was a butcher knife that was sitting right there by her hand. And I just eased myself on through the kitchen and made it to the fellowship hall. Those four other women, did you know this? These four other women, before I finished preaching and leaving that church, each one of them came to me individually, and here's what they said. Please don't judge our church on her. We're thankful that you're here. Your messages have been encouraging. She's just an old belly aker. Please don't judge us on her. We've come to encourage you. Friend, I, I tell you that story today because I want you to know that when you come to church, the body that is true of Christ, the body of Christ that loves the Lord, we encourage one another. And if you're saved, one of the birthmarks that you have as a believer is you want to be around your brothers and sisters in Christ. You show me someone that says, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Hello, we've got a problem, Houston. No, he loves the church. How does he love the church? So much that he gave his life for her. His bride. Something spiritually is wrong in your life that you would make a statement like that. Or we all know folks who say this, I love Jesus, I just don't go to church. The church has disappointed me. There are a lot of you who went to the ball game the other night, Florida versus Florida State. We won't get into the outcome and talk about that for fear that many of you would walk out of the room today. There's a point in time where you had to go use the restroom. I don't know the last time you went into a restroom at a stadium, but they're not the nicest places. I've had folks say this, the reason why I don't come to church is because I've had a bad experience. If you've ever went to the restroom at a stadium, you've had a bad experience. But it don't stop you from going. Listen, listen, we come because we are encouraged. We are encouraged. There's nothing like it when we come in and we stand together and we sing together. There's nothing like it when we come together and we give together and we grow together, when we work together and we worship together, when we pray together and we praise together. I'm just saying that there is spiritual encouragement in the church. And I have discovered that when you regularly absence yourself from the church and you miss the encouragement of believers, Doubts are going to come. I'll give you another reason why. Because of the supernatural environment. Look in verse 21 in John 20. And so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, check this out, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying, guys, it was a supernatural environment. The miraculous was taking place. Now, hear me. It truly was a miracle that the same Jesus they saw die, the same Jesus they saw buried in the tomb, is the same Jesus that is there in church that night. Now, that was a miracle within itself, but that's not the only miracle. It says that the holy God of heaven, right? It says that the glorious God, he breathed on them. Things happen with the church crowd that can happen with no other crowd. Because miracles happen at church. I know that you and I throw that word miracle around so flippantly that we, we have, uh, we've almost 
minimalize the importance and the power of the word miracle. We affix the word to so many cheap, cheap things. A guy catches a Hail Mary pass in the end zone to win the game, and we say, man, that's a miracle. That's not a miracle. That's just the way the ball bounces. Or we'll sit there and we'll see a guy come around on the last lap and through traffic, right? He passes about five cars and just at the very last moment, he passes the finish line first. And we say, man, that was a miracle. That wasn't a miracle, that was mechanical. Or we'll sit there and we'll watch a guy on a par three, he'll tee off and he'll shoot at 175 yards. It bounces one time, it goes into a hole and we say, my goodness, that was a miracle. And any golfer will tell you it was not a miracle, it was nothing but luck. <laughs> Miracles only happen where Jesus is working. And you and I need to be a part of the body of Christ. We need to be regular in assembling with the body of Christ. We need that kind of environment where we move, listen to this, where we move out of the ordinary into the extraordinary within the body of Christ. And it astounds me, church, today about so many folks who confess the name of Jesus Christ and they're casual about their commitment. They only attend when it is appealing. They only come when it's convenient. And there are many people who profess the name of Christ. Their social schedule is more important than their spiritual schedule. The attitude is different when it comes to that of a casual Christian. To a casual Christian, $20 at the store is not very much, but it's a whole lot in church. Mm, hello. To a casual Christian, it's amazing how a three-hour ball game is short, but a 40-minute sermon is long. To a casual Christian, it's amazing how four and a half hours on the golf course is exhilarating, and yet two hours in church is exhausting. A casual Christian would rather be in the world than in church. And when that happens, friends, I just want you to know, doubts are going to creep in. They're going to come into your life. Thomas doubted, and Thomas doubted because he was not there when Jesus showed up. Friend, I'm just telling you, my prayer every time we gather together and assemble as the body of Christ is that Jesus will show up. And you never know when you're not here that you might just miss him breathing on this place. I one time at a conference heard the president of Christ Seminary in South Africa speak. And he told the story, he said, there was a seminary boy who had, you know, a young man who had gotten saved and, and he was now in seminary and he was so excited about the things of Jesus that he got up and he, he walked 20 miles one Sunday to preach at this church out in the bush. He said he preached the service, gave the invitation, five got saved. And those five said, well, hey, we're supposed to be baptized. Why can't we go ahead and get baptized right now? He didn't say, well, now we've got to have a class and talk about that. Well, no, no, the water's not warm right now. We've not filled up the pool. Let's just wait and do a video, and it'll go along with it. Well, they didn't, he didn't say that at all. He said, well, we, I can do it. There's a river about four or five miles from here. And they walked five miles to get baptized in a crocodile-infested river. Now, I'm not saying that there was a rumor that crocodiles used to swim in this place. He said they lay on the bank as they were baptizing. After they were baptized, these five brand new believers, they're like, we want to know more about Jesus. Teach us more about Jesus. He's like, I'm tired. I got to walk 20 miles back home. Y'all go home, and they're like, no, we're so hungry. Teach us more, teach us more. So they walked the five miles back to this church, this little thatch building, and they sat there under lantern light until 10 o'clock at night talking and studying the scriptures about Jesus. Finally, this young preacher, this young seminary boy said, y'all got to go home. I'm tired. 
I got to go home. And finally they went home. And so no wonder it breaks the heart of this seminary president when he comes to America and we watch our watches and we do that whole religious aerobic workout back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. When are we going to get out of here? When's this going to be over? Are we going to beat the Methodist to the restaurant? I've told you this. We'll never beat the Methodist to the restaurant. They have this special tunnel that goes under their parking lot right there to the restaurant. We've never been shooting to beat the Methodist or even the Presbyterians to the restaurant. That's not our goal. We're hoping to beat the Pentecostals to the restaurant. Mm. We wonder when in the world we're going to get out of here and miss the very blessings of the things of God. This guy says, this seminary president said this. He says, it breaks his heart how casual we are about the wonderful freedoms that God has given to us. And when the things of the world mean more to you than the things of God, sooner or later, you're going to doubt. When you're casual about your faith, you're casual about your commitment, you're going to doubt. But then there's a second kind of Christian that doubts. A complacent Christian. Flipping your Bibles over to Mark 14. In Mark 14, we see a complacent Christian in the name of Simon Peter. Mark 14, verse 29. Here's, let me put it contextually in place. Jesus dared to say that Peter, Simon Peter, would deny him, and Simon Peter hits the roof. Notice, notice what it says. This is Mark 14, 29. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I'll not be. And then Jesus said to Simon Peter, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. But then Peter spoke more, more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. I read that, and we know what happens later, and I read that, and every time I think this. Boy, Peter, he, he talked a good game, didn't he? He, he spoke a, a pretty powerful game there. Anybody ever done that? Anybody in this place, you've talked a really big game? I can remember when I was growing up, the first neighborhood that we ever lived in. There was a group of four or five boys around my age. I would have been seven or eight years of age at the time. And we had this bully in our neighborhood, just vicious. Bigger than the rest of us, would beat us up all the time. We are afraid to death. I'm telling you, that was one mean little girl. Just brutal. <laughs> and her name was Vicky. And... Uh, we called her Icky Vicky. Now, I'm not a proponent of name calling, okay? The good news is we didn't call it to her face. We were scared to do that. And man, she just brutalized. I'm standing there one day with four of my other friends, and, and these were the days where you'd let your seven and eight-year-old just go out and play and say, be home before dark. And, um, and people in the neighborhood would, would raise you. But anyway, so... I'm standing there, she walks past us in my front yard, walks up on my front porch, takes my brand new bicycle off the porch and starts riding it down the road. And I turned to the other guys, I said, y'all see that? They're like, yeah, it's Vicky though, what can we do about it? I'm like, here's the deal guys, she can whoop us individually, but if we all come together, there's no way she can whip all five of us. That's what we've got to do. It's time to put an end to this right now. I'm tired of Vicky controlling our neighborhood. This is our turf, these seventh and eighth grade boys. This is our, or not seven-year-old and eight-year-old, not seventh and eighth grade boys, seven-year-old and eight-year-old boys. And so she came back by and I said, Vicky. And she stopped. And I said, Vicky, that's my bicycle. And here's what she said. Yeah, what are you going to do about it? I turned around to the other floor and I said, all right, guys, this is our time right here. Come on, let's go. And so I walked across the street. I got about halfway across the street. Now, I didn't know at the time, but God was using this to prepare me to be a pastor. I got about halfway across the street. And you got to get this feeling that you're all by yourself. <laughs> they were all standing back. And I walked out halfway and I said, you know what I'm going to do about it? Yeah, what are you going to do about it? 
She ended up growing up to be a sweet, pretty woman. But she wasn't then. What are you going to do about it? I said, here's what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to let you ride my bicycle. But when you're through with it, you're going to bring that back to my house. I turned to walk back, and those four other guys were there. One of them said, yeah, if we would have fought, we were right there with you. I'm like, yeah, whatever. You were ready, all right, ready to run. That's kind of what I think about when I read this passage of Scripture right here. I wonder if that's what the Lord felt in Mark chapter 14 when it's all over with. Here is Peter, and Peter says, I'll die for you. He's dogmatic about it. He's determined, not me, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll lose my life. And then 35 short verses later, he becomes a doubter and he becomes a denier. He had grown a complacent in his Christianity. How does that happen? How do you become a complacent Christian? According to this passage, there's a couple of ways. First of all, he fell asleep. Look back in verse 37. In Mark 14, Jesus goes in the garden to pray. Verse 37 says this, he came and found them sleeping. And he says to Simon Peter, now stop. If you thought about this, there are three of them there. He calls none of the others by name. But he calls Simon Peter by name. And he says, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch just one hour? Hear me, I don't think he intended to go to sleep. I think it was an accident. I think Peter, because he was tired, he fell asleep. Now, I'm preaching to a good person this morning, okay? Hear me. It could even be that I'm preaching to you. I've discovered that some of the busiest Christians can go to sleep. I mean, here we are, right? We, we come and go to and fro, and every single day it's the very same thing, and we're having to deal with children, and we're having to deal with careers, and we're having to deal with community, and we're having to deal with all this other stuff, and in the middle of it all is the church and our responsibilities in the church. And what happens is, while we're trying to shuffle all of these schedules, if we're not real careful, we won't schedule Jesus. And pretty soon, church, I'm talking about good people, right? Pretty soon, good people, because of the hustle and the bustle of life, because of all the good things that the good people are doing, all of a sudden, we'll realize one day, well, I'm not quite as close to Jesus as I used to be. And what happens is prayer that used to be a priority in our lives, now it's become a minority in our lives. Bible study that used to be essential, now it's only occasional in our lives. Church attendance that was once in enjoyment, now we see it as an endurance. Oh, I'm too tired to go to church today. Ministry, don't miss this staff. Ministry, don't miss this leadership. Ministry that used to be a joy, now has become a job. And we look up one day and we realize that the fervor is not there and we've fallen asleep. I'm just saying, guys, it'll happen to the best of us, the very best. That no, longer how, no matter how long you've been saved, no matter how spiritually in-depth you are, no matter how many ministries that you're supporting, that you're involved in, no matter how many jobs that you have for the kingdom, if you spend two or three days away from the Word of God, you spend two or three days away from prayer, you're not many more days away from denying Jesus. How do you become a complacent Christian? You fall asleep. But then he also fell away. Look in verse 66 of Mark 14. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. When she saw Peter warming himself, it was cold. He was around the fire. He was trying to warm himself up. When she saw him warming himself, she looked at him and she said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it. It hadn't been that many verses before. He's like, no, 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 I'll die for you. Everyone else may deny you, but not me, Lord. I'll die for you. And then look down in verse 71. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. 
It's amazing. It's amazing. He was willing to die for Jesus, and now he's willing to die to say that he doesn't even know who Jesus is. Hear me, it's the same man. It's the same Simon Peter. And I read that, and I very quickly want to judge Peter. I want to quickly say, I can't believe that he would do that. How in the world could he change so quickly? And the reason many times I want to sit there and cast stones at him is because I want it to remove where I've denied. Every one of us has been guilty of denying Jesus at one time or another. I'd say that every single one of us have been standing with the bystanders before. That every single one of us has been one of the crowd. I mean, we're talking about a Christian that'll come to church on Sunday morning and they'll get caught up in the worship service and you'll sit there and you'll sing the great I am. You'll sit there and you'll sing great are you Lord. And then you go at work and during the week, you know, you're standing there with a crowd who's telling dirty jokes, taking the Lord's name in vain, using all kinds of foul language and you're laughing along with them and you're smiling. That's denying Jesus. Or you're the student, the teenager that comes into this place and lifts their hands and say, great, great are you, Lord. Yes, sing the great I am again. Can we do it again? And then you go to school the next day. And then on Friday night and Saturday night, you're, you're taking Jesus down in the mud as you're partying with your crowd or you're doing what you do. I'm just saying that's denying Jesus. Oh, it's quiet. And then you'll fall asleep. Can we be honest? When you fall asleep and you fall away, and if the devil can't get you with dirt, he'll get you with disobedience. We have the casual Christian, Thomas. <laughs> he should have been the place where he needed spiritual encouragement, supernatural environment taking place. He wasn't there. His commitment was low, and he missed the miraculous. And he doubted. Simon Peter had grown complacent in his faith. Oh, you don't know who you're talking to, Jesus. You don't know how strong I am spiritually. Now, I get some of these other guys. They'll deny you in a heartbeat, but I'll never do it. And he fell asleep, and he fell away, and he doubted. Here's the third kind of Christian that'll doubt, a counterfeit Christian. Flipping your Bibles over to Mark 10. We're almost done. And when I say almost, I don't, I don't mean like five minutes. I mean... I mean, we're, we're, we're doing good on time to beat the Pentecostals. Assembly, you never know, Sunday to Sunday. Sometimes they'll have long ones, sometimes they'll have short ones. You never know. So we're not basing anything off the assemblies today. Mark 14, verse 10, and I love Assembly of God. Some of my, some of my good pastor friends are Assembly of God. Mark 14, verse 10. I'm thankful in heaven there. Can I just say a little side note? I'm thankful in heaven there aren't going to be denominations. Mm. Anyway, Mark 14, 10. Counterfeit Christian, poster child right here, Judas Iscariot. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12. One of the 12. Look down to verse 43. And immediately, while he was still speaking, he being Jesus, Judas, notice it says it again, one of the 12. Why do you think Scripture goes to great lengths to let us know that he was indeed one of the 12? 12 being the disciples, one of the 12. It staggers me. Here's what I believe. It was trying to convey he was one of the, one of the group. He, he was one of the guys. He was one of the 12 that even though Judas had this outward expression and appearance of a follower of Jesus Christ, he wasn't. I'll say it the way I believe Paul would have said it. He was talking about this over and over again in the book of Romans, being in Christ, being in Christ. Here's how I think he would say it. While Judas walked with Jesus, he never walked in Jesus. I don't even have enough time to go into discussion, but I believe there's enough scriptural evidence to support the fact that Judas is in hell. I'll give one of them to you, Luke 22.3. That tells us that the devil entered into Judas. 
I'm just saying, here is a guy, and he, he heard all the same sermons as the other disciples, right? He saw all the miracles that Jesus performed like the other disciples. He walked the miles with the master. Jesus, I mean, listen to me, Judas even kissed the gates of heaven, and he went to hell. Doubt came to Thomas because Thomas was casual. Doubt came to Simon Peter because he had grown complacent in his faith. And then doubt came to Judas because he was counterfeit. He was lost. He was not a real follower of Christ. Now, I want to make something very clear this morning before I finish this sermon off, okay? There is not a single Christian in this room that can say that they've not had doubt at one time or another in their life spiritually. Not a one of us. Matter of fact, Dwight L. Moody, the great preacher, said that one time after a service, he had a woman that came up to him, and here's what she said. She said, Dr. Moody, I want you to know that I've been a Christian for 25 years, and I've never had one single doubt. What do you say to that? And Dr. Moody said, hmm. I doubt you're a Christian. I doubt you're saved. But friend, hear me. If you stay in persistent doubt, you may not be saved. You can't continue to doubt something that you never had. Look at verse 44. Now, his betrayer, Jesus' betrayer, Judas had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss. Now, have you guys like me, have you ever read that before and you're like, okay, the, the, the signal was gonna be he would, he would kiss him on the cheek? That would be the signal? I mean, why, why wouldn't he say the signal's gonna be the guy I walk up to and I, I'm gonna pat him on the back? Understand, this was a great sign of honor and respect. In their culture, it was. You even read it in the original language that is written in the Greek and the, 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 the tense and the word that is used there, it indicates, I mean, we're not talking about something romantic. Please don't get this wrong. But it, is, it does indicate an intimate relationship, right? Between two men. Uh, it's not a homosexual. Don't get that wrong. What he is saying here, he had a great deal of respect and honor. The sign that he used is something that students would reserve for their teacher or their master. And so here he is. He comes up and he uses the sign of honor and respect as the one to betray him. And I'm going to tell you this today. Because I love you, and I hope if you get anything, that if you've been here for any amount of time, I believe that I'm going to get a, give an account to God for every single word that comes out of my mouth while I'm standing in this sacred desk. But listen, I say this because of the love that I have for you. You can carry a Bible and not know its author. You can sing a song and not know the one that you're singing about. You can kneel at an altar and never bow before the king. You might be a counterfeit Christian, and the reason why you continue to live in doubt is because you've never been saved. I beg with you today. I plead with you today. Please, it's too risky. Don't, don't question whether you are and say, oh, I think I am. I'll be all right. I think I'm okay. If you're here today and all of a sudden doubt is starting to creep upon your soul, or maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I try to lay my head on my pillow at night. And I, I'm so worried. I may not wake up in the morning. I'm not sure where I'm going to go. There are days I think I'm in. There are days I think I'm out. This cloud of doubt is just laying over my soul. It is so heavy. It is so burdening me down. Understand that is not a gift of God. He offers peace. He, he, he offers security. He offers hope. God never intended salvation to be a guessing game. Am I in or am I out? Am I in or am I out? I'm just saying today, if you are there and you're like, man, I just, I'm not real sure, you can be sure. Here's the one. He heard everything that Jesus had to say. He saw everything that Jesus did. He was in the inner court. Yet he was counterfeit. He looked like it. He sounded like it. 
but he wasn't. I don't know where you are today, but I do know where God is. And God says, I'll give you peace. God says there is hope. God says that you can be the true child of the king when you are in Jesus. There are some of you here today that would say, hey, you know what, I'm a casual Christian. I am. What do I do about that? How do I get that right? I would say this, go ahead today and determine with the help of the Holy Spirit in your life that you're gonna be committed. May that be your prayer. May that, may that be your covenant between you and him. Lord, you know what? I used to be excited about these things. I used, to, I used to make these things a priority in my life, but allowed things of this world, I'm not even saying bad things, but things of this world to come in and they've kind of pushed you a little bit further down the way. God, oh, forgive me for that, Lord. And by the way, can I just stop and say this? When that has been going on in your life, life, if the Holy Spirit of God has not been bringing conviction on your heart, then it's a good indication the Holy Spirit of God does not reside in your heart. If you're able to live any way you want to and keep pushing God down from the prioritizing or the prominent position in your life, and the Holy Spirit of God is not saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's not right. What are you doing? That's not who you are. Mm. I can only speak of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. But today, oh God, I am sorry. Man, I've allowed these things. Mm. The reality is to become idols in my life. Or maybe you're here and you're a complacent Christian. I'll never do that. Maybe you're the one that's been pointing your fingers at other brothers and sisters who may have fallen away, who may have fallen asleep. And you're pointing, you're saying, look at them, I never do that. You're setting yourself up. See, we do a disservice because here's what we say. The devil will attack you at your weakest spot. No, he won't. He's going to come after you at the place that you say, I've got it all together. Maybe you're the one that, oh, they may do this. I'll never do this. Or maybe you've just kind of grown complacent in doing church. My goodness, I've done church. I told you that my entire life before I was born. I know how to do a good game of church. There's not a church out there that can cause you to sleep on your pillow at night with peace. It is only in Christ. Or maybe you're here today. And if you start examining your heart. And you're like, man, I'm. I don't think I'm in Christ. There's no evidence in my life. Every time I hear a preacher preach and they give an invitation, conviction falls on me. I've never been able to say with confidence that I'm in Jesus Christ. Today's the day to settle it once and for all. You say, well, if I'm really saved, and then I, then I call upon the name of Jesus, and he's going to be in heaven, and he's going to say, uh-uh, you had it right the first time. You're canceled it out. Now forever you're condemned to hell. He doesn't work that way. But instead he offers peace found in Jesus. So please, I beg you, please don't get in your car today. Please don't walk out of this room today. Please don't turn off this broadcast today until you have the peace that comes from a relationship in Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me today? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, and could I, could I just please ask you, unless you absolutely necessarily have to, could you please stay in the room? We're not over yet. But instead, would you just sit here and would you say, hey God, what is this? What does this say to me? What is, this, what is the word that you have for me today? What are you saying? What am, what am I to be obedient to you in? We're gonna stand and we're gonna sing a wonderful song of worship and praise, a wonderful song of declaration, a promise of God. My goodness, I, I can't think of another song out there that is going to so adequately describe what happens when someone's saved. And they're going to be pastors right down front. And you're here today and you say, you know, I've grown casual. Lord, I want to get this right. 
Not because being a casual Christian will condemn you to hell. No, it's, it's, it's only for those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But if you were to be honest, you know, I've kind of gotten casual there. That maybe today, afresh and new, you'd make a covenant with the Lord. Through the power of his Holy Spirit, could be that you would come to this altar humbling yourself before him drawing that line in the sand saying I'll walk out of here different or maybe today you would say I've grown complacent I know how to talk a good game <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm really far away from the Lord afresh and new with the power that can only come through the Holy Spirit that you would cry out to him. Maybe you would come in this altar and pray, humbling yourself before him. And then the counterfeit, that today you would say, I'm ready to settle it once and for all. I will not live life under this mountain of doubt. Friend, that is not the birthright of a child of the king. It's strength, love, and sound mind, not doubt. That today you would say, you know what? I'm just turning to you, Jesus, once and for all. Remove this doubt from me. We're going to invite you to come to one of these pastors. Just say that. I need, to, I need to deal with this doubt. Could be that you call upon the name of Jesus. Oh God, may you speak. May we listen. May we be obedient. May you breathe on this place. May the miraculous be done so that the name of Jesus would be exalted. It's in his name we pray today. Hey guys, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to this week's issue of the podcast called Unchangeable Truth. Let me encourage you as well, if you get a chance, go check out our website. It's Highland, H-I-L-A-N-D, Park, P-A-R-K, dot org. On that website, you'll learn more about our ministry at Highland Park Baptist Church. You can also listen to some previous sermons, which are archived for the previous year. And as well, if you ever find yourself in Panama City in person, come and check us out. Worship with us live at 2611 Highway 231 North. And we would also love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. If you've got any questions regarding your relationship with Him, having faith in Him, or if this podcast has encouraged you, or you have other questions regarding the podcast, feel free, shoot us an email at podcast at highlandpark.org. As always, our prayer is that this podcast would point you to Jesus Christ, would increase your faith, and would help you as you mature daily in your walk with Jesus Christ. God bless.